welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. Jeeper is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015 to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about Jeeper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eczema Breakthroughs Podcast. Today, we'll be digging into the topic of the relationship between eczema and COVID-19 risk. With us today are three guests, Dr. Emma Gutman. She is Professor and System Chair of Dermatology and Immunology at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. She's also the Director of the Center for Excellence in Eczema and the Director of the Laboratory for Inflammatory Skin Diseases. She is joined by her colleague, colleague, Dr. Benjamin Unger, who is the Director of the Rosacea and Soboraic Dermatitis Clinic at Mount Sinai. And we also have on the show... Dr. Adrian Martineau. He is joining us from the UK and is professor of respiratory infection and immunity at the Institute of Population Health Sciences in the School of Medicine and Dentistry at Queen Mary University of London. He is leading on the investigation of risk factors for developing coronavirus as part of the Confidence UK, which is a national study. All three um, have recently published papers on this topic which is the relationship between eczema and COVID-19. So everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So first we wanted to kind of unpack a little bit this relationship between COVID-19, the immune system and eczema. I know at the beginning of the pandemic, those of us who have children with eczema were worried that our kids were at higher risk for developing COVID because so many are on steroid treatments or other treatments, immunosuppressants that would tamp down the immune system. Or and or they had asthma as well. And we all thought that asthma was a risk factor for severe symptoms of COVID or contracting COVID in the first place because COVID seems to cause respiratory issues. But now we're finding that the exact opposite may be true, which is kind of curious and also a rare win for, I think, people with eczema and asthma potentially. This is a bit of uh, good news for our community, but help us understand what we know about the the immune system and why we would think that people with eczema would be more or less likely to contract COVID-19. And I'll just let whoever wants to jump in here. I can give just a little more background. The immune system is quite complicated and it is helpful sometimes when dealing with specific scenarios to simplify things a little bit conceptually in any case. And so in atopic dermatitis, there is elevated TH2 or type two inflammation. So that's the part of the immune system that's overly activated from kind of a normal state. There's a different part of the immune system that is generally responsible for responding to infections, including viral infections. And that's the type one or TH1 part of the immune system. There's some degree of crosstalk between the two of them and some kind of balancing that can happen. And, you know, it's a little more complicated than that. And so it has been thought and hypothesized that increased TH2 inflammation may reduce the ability of the body to produce a good TH1 response when there's an infection. And so that that was at least a thought and a hypothesis as to why people with atopic dermatitis and potentially other allergic kind of diseases 
might be at increased risk for COVID-19 infection, you know, more severe outcomes because the body may not be quite as able to produce a good response. Right. So the TH2 response is distracting the immune system from effectively marshalling a TH1 response. And there's this sort of seesaw effect there. So that was one theory. Now tell us about a different theory that you had related to the cytokine storm over the, or the over response of the immune system. So in, initially we, we didn't know anything about a COVID and a, what are the COVID specific responses but in the beginning of the pandemic, as you know, we are in New York City, and New York City was hit very hard in the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, we started to notice that we had many patients with um, severe risk factors for um, having more severe COVID, such as diabetes, hypertension, uh, African-American patients, uh, including those that had family members that were uh, in the ICU or even died due to covid and many of the patients didn't have any symptoms, even though they were exposed to these patients. I started to notice that these patients had in common the fact that they were on two targeting treatments, particularly edupixent. And shortly after, there was a study from China that looked at the profile in blood of patients that were at the height of their COVID infection and during the height of the cytokine storm. And during that time, the cytokines or the immune molecules that were increased in the blood of these patients were type 2 molecules, particularly IL-4, IL-13, IL-5, IL-10. So putting this together, we, we hypothesized that maybe targeting TH2 with an agent like dupixent may attenuate COVID-related responses. And this is what basically we, we found. Okay. So I, I'm just going to paraphrase back or summarize, but in, in people with COVID-19, we noticed early in the pandemic that they experienced this kind of runaway immune response that might be responsible for severe symptoms and even death. And that's the cytokine storm that you talked about where the immune system just sort of runs amok and goes crazy. And the particular way that it does that was through two pathways that are actually dampened or shut down using drugs like dupixent, where they target these two areas that tend to overreact in COVID-19. And so you wondered if patients that were on this drug might fare better. Is that a fair summary? I just want to put it in terms that everyone understands. Just the, the one uh, nuance that I'll add is it, it doesn't necessarily block two parts of the immune response. Those are two uh, kind of molecules that are involved in the same arm of the immune. So like IL-4 and IL-13 both have kind of a shared pathway, but, but otherwise I think it was a good summary. So what did your study find? Did the patients on Dupixent fare better? The beauty of our study that had more than 2,000 patients is that we compared in the same patient population. So everybody had the same severity of atopic dermatitis, and those treated with the anti-TH2 were the ones that were protected, whereas the others were not protected. They were like the general population. So that's a more controlled um, experiment when everybody has the same disease, we are not comparing to the general population. We are comparing within patients with atopic dermatitis. So those that are treated on Udupilumab. And the idea being that, again, Pilumab, we need to remember it's a down-regulation 
activating the type 2 immunity, but doesn't do anything to type 1 immunity because we do need that type 1 immunity to fight infections. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you looked at patients who had similar atopic dermatitis severity and you compared them to each other. And you found that those patients who were on dupilumab had a lower risk of more severe COVID symptoms compared with other patients who were on different types of treatment. So I want to ask you, Dr. Martineau, because your paper kind of looked at a different angle. What's your thinking here about what the relationship is between people with allergic diseases and COVID-19 and what might be going on in terms of that relationship? Thanks, Corey. Uh, Yes. So we asked a slightly different question, which was rather than looking at severity of disease in people who had COVID-19, we were interested in risk factors for developing COVID-19 in the first place. And this was an area that had been relatively less studied, particularly early in the pandemic, when the major focus was on people who were coming into hospital who were very sick and who even died with the disease. So to ask this different question about susceptibility as opposed to severity, we did what's called a cohort study, which is where we recruited around 15,000 general members of the UK population at the beginning of the pandemic. We asked them pretty detailed information about their medical history, lifestyle, any medications they were taking, diet, micronutrient supplements. And then we followed them up for a period of a year during which time around about 3% of them developed uh, test positive COVID-19. We then did an analysis to look at what the risk factors for getting COVID-19 in the first place, as opposed to getting severe COVID-19, were. And we saw a number of risk factors associated with increased risk that we predicted that sort of overlapped with the risk factors for severity. Things like being of Asian or Black British ethnic origin, household overcrowding, visits to public places, higher body mass index, frontline occupation. But interestingly, we also saw that there was a decreased risk of getting COVID-19 that we saw in people with atopic disease. And part of that, of course, is atopic dermatitis or eczema. So we defined atopic disease as either having a self-report of eczema or atopic dermatitis or hay fever, or allergic rhinitis, or both. Uh, And what we found was that your odds of getting COVID-19 were 25% lower if you self-reported having either or both of those conditions. So that didn't include asthma then? It was um, hay fever, rhinitis? We did look uh, at asthma, and our findings actually chime with those uh, reported by others in that we found that people who had allergic asthma, which we defined as asthma in the presence of either allergic rhinitis or atopic dermatitis or both had a decreased risk of COVID-19, whereas those with non-allergic asthma, which is thought to have a different pathogenesis, a different underlying um, immune defect, didn't have a decreased risk. And their pattern was more like that that we see in patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is another inflammatory lung condition. So right at the beginning, you said that Yes, there was a concern, particularly in the respiratory community, that patients with asthma would be at increased risk of poor outcomes because we know that other respiratory viruses trigger asthma attacks. But what we're starting to realise is that everything depends on the type of asthma that you have. If you have allergic asthma, 
that is asthma associated with atopic dermatitis, allergic rhinitis, you appear to be at decreased risk of getting disease and possibly decreased risk of severity. But if you have non-allergic or type one asthma, then your risk is not reduced. So what's going on here then? Because previously we talked about how, um, you know, people with allergic diseases like eczema have this elevated or activated Th2 response that might be compromising the Th1 side of things that could be helpful in warding off COVID-19. But your research is sort of suggesting maybe that's not what's going on. So I was just curious if you had hypothesis about why this would be the case. We do have a, a good working hypothesis, again, based on work from other groups uh, that's been replicated independently. Uh, and this relates to expression of the receptor for SARS-CoV-2, which is called the ACE2 protein, which is found in the airway. That stands for angiotensin conversing enzyme 2. Uh, and we know that's the receptor for the virus. That's how the virus enters the human cell. And there's quite a lot of work now suggesting that people who have atopic disease have lower expression of that receptor compared to people who don't. So this kind of fits quite neatly with our observational finding that those who had atopic disease were at lower risk of getting COVID-19 in the first place. And so that's our one working hypothesis, at least. Yeah, and it's honestly so great to hear because we're always hearing about how people with eczema or atopic dermatitis are at higher risk for all these other conditions. And it's like, it never turns out this way. So it's really, it's a really a great finding. Is there a sort of a, a cumulative effect here where people with eczema are at lower risk for COVID? And then on top of that, if they're on dupilumab, they have, you know, even less risk of developing severe symptoms. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I think, as Dr. Marno said, there, there are two different aspects. One of them is, are you at increased or decreased risk or the same risk of getting COVID to begin with, which is a separate issue of what happens when you get COVID? Are you going to be more sick from COVID when that happens? What we see so far does seem to suggest that, you know, people with the allergic atopic conditions are at lower risk of getting COVID to begin with. But then there are still things that we can collectively do and think about to mitigate the severity of the disease once that happens. You know, the, the effects of stacking these various variables together on COVID incidents and what happens when you get in all that still needs to be teased out. But I think it's probably, you know, a fair bet to say that when you have, you know, atopic dermatitis, you may be a little lower risk of getting it. And then you can reduce your risk of having more severe COVID by appropriately treating with, for example, dupilumab. Okay. So I'm going to start taking some questions from parents now. Two have come in related to asthma. As we know, children with eczema, something like a third also have asthma. And there's just been this concern that we need to keep them especially protected because the the potential risk of asthma and COVID-19. And we touched on this a bit already about there being this distinction between allergic asthma and other kinds of asthma. Anything else to add about those patients who have both eczema and asthma based on what you saw in your data? In our data, we saw that patients with eczema, you know, we, we looked from a perspective of eczema, not of asthma, but we saw that the same thing held true if you had eczema alone or eczema and asthma. Great. Anything to add on that one? 
I'll just say briefly that, you know, dupilumab in, in this particular circumstance is also a treatment for asthma, you know, an allergic asthma treatment. So the extent to which that may be impacting how people uh, respond, it may have a similar impact, although, you know, that's a little tougher to say at this point. Okay. Thank you. Anything else to add, Dr. Martin, on that one? I mean, we looked at the combination, combined effect of asthma and allergy, and we saw the strongest degree of protection in people who had both. So that was a 40%, 40% reduction in odds. Now, uh, if you had uh, atopy, but not asthma, you saw a 23% reduction. So the effect did seem to be strongest in those who had both conditions. Okay. So like the more atopic you were, the more protection type thing in a way. Yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, just one, one point though, these effects are nowhere near as big as vaccination. So I wouldn't want people to go away with the feeling that because I have eczema or hay fever, I don't need to get vaccinated. You know, I think the number one thing you can do to get yourself protected against COVID is to get a vaccine. But these yeah. are interesting observations that may have modest effects, but also provide some sort of a biological insights into how COVID-19 works. Yeah. Thanks for that point. Yeah. And yeah, I'll I- actually <laughs> add to that also, which is a very important point because, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the impact of dupilumab, you know, reducing symptoms. So I think it may be a fair question. Well, if it reduces COVID severity, will it also reduce uh, the effectiveness of vaccines? And we have some uh, data that we're hoping to publish soon, you know, that's kind of in process that suggests that the answer is no, it does not impact how well the vaccines work. So certainly there should not be a takeaway of not getting vaccinated because of all these uh, different factors. These are additional uh, things to consider that may help on top of the, of the vaccine's effectiveness. Okay. I, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Martin, in your study, did you look at treatment modality and how that interacted with risk of getting COVID? So because our study was done in the general population, we didn't have statistical power to we break down these quite small groups into even smaller groups according to their medication type. But we did generate a course of classification uh, of medication. We classified medication to 18 different groups, one of which was immunosuppressants in general. Now, this was quite a broad category. It would have included those anti-TH2 drugs, but also a whole load of other monoclonals that uh, attack uh, tumor necrosis factor, other cytokine pathways. But overall, and this was uh, a finding that was actually the opposite of what we were expecting, we saw that people on immunosuppressants reported lower rates of COVID-19. Now, there are a few possible reasons for this. One is that it could be artifactual in that those people were shielding and less likely to go out. But we did adjust for that in the analysis. So we adjusted for how often people went to the shops, whether or not they were shielding all of this. Um, A second explanation could relate to the fact that people who had more immunosuppression would be less likely to have symptomatic infection. In other words, they might get infected, but they might not experience symptoms and therefore go for testing and register having a positive test. But it was a striking finding, the opposite to what we had expected. And I think it all goes along with the general direction of thinking that ultimately severe COVID-19 is a result of hyperinflammatory response, as a result of a, a, an over-exuberant immune response uh, to the virus. And we treat it with immunosuppressants. And therefore, people who 
already on English Express in the first place may not actually be at a massive disadvantage. We've got a question coming here from Gabriella in Miami, and she is interested in, I think, again, this relationship between you have eczema, you get COVID, what is the risk there? How does COVID influence flares and things like that? But since we already kind of touched on that a little bit, I wanted to pivot just a little bit and ask about Omicron. We're in this wave of Omicron, and it has a slightly different structure, as we understand it, much more infectious. Is there any reason to believe that you know, th- these relationships might be different in the age of Omicron? I think it's fair to say that Omicron is its, in its infancy. So our knowledge about it is still much more limited than for Delta, Beta and Alpha. But we know that it still enters the human cells via the ACE2 receptor, even though the spike protein is has a number of mutations that differentiate it from the earlier strains. Um, so if this mechanism by which uh, ATP associates with lower ACE2 um, is the right one, then one would expect on first principles for a similar association to be observed. Yeah, I I would definitely echo everything that Dr. Martineau said. And that also applies to the impact of dupilumab as well. If the hypothesis is correct that it's impacting it by modulating the immune response, then it may, that modulation and the subsequent immune response may be less dependent on the specific infection, whether it's, you know, COVID-19 Delta or Omicron or another viral infection for that matter, this may may all still hold. So it's speculative, but I think there it's, it's a reasonable guess to make. Great. Thank you for that. So we can be hopeful as we live through this next wave, which seems to be infecting absolutely everybody at this point. Armando, did you want to ask your question? I have a question that relates to vaccine safety for for those with eczema. I am a parent that that witnessed my my child's first flare that turned into really a pretty extreme eczema for a number of years after receiving an MMR vaccine at age three, I believe. And anecdotally, I've gathered from other parents that something similar happened in their case. That's when, when the eczema, you know, started raging after that particular vaccine. And, you know, years later, you know, probably almost a decade later, I learned those with an egg allergy should be cautious about that particular vaccine. And I thought, wow, if I would have known, because my daughter actually has an an egg allergy, but I didn't know at the time at the age of three, I I just, I worry about that flare and going through that same, you know, journey. So that's my question. Do do you have any comments on that? One thing I heard during this discussion is that you, you have a certain level of, of, seeming protection if you have eczema, but it's not as you know good uh, as the vaccine, but I still have that trauma. So I would appreciate any comments uh, that you might have on that topic. Yeah, no, it's an excellent question, um, I think. And um, we, we see that actually quite a lot um, that patients with eczema will develop an exacerbation. Uh, we see that also in patients with another disease, alopecia areata, uh, hair loss, um, that uh, there is an exacerbation either after you have the virus 
or after you have the vaccine because it increases the uh, inflammation, particularly the Th2 inflammation here or the type 2 inflammation. And this is why I always consult uh, patients and parents that this is why it's so important that the child or, or adult will be treated well uh, at the time of the vaccine. So I think the vaccine is very important, but you need to make sure that um, there is not really quite a lot of eczema that um, we are building upon it. And that's why you need to be sure that the eczema is well controlled at the time of the vaccine. Anything else to add on that question? Just a comment that the current COVID vaccines, to my knowledge, don't contain egg or albumin. So that concern, which is a very valid one around egg allergy and MMR, doesn't pertain to the COVID vaccine specifically. Okay, that's really great to know. And I wanted just to ask each of you to offer a quick summary of what is the take-home message for patients or parents of children with eczema about your findings? So I think the important thing is that having an allergic disease or atopic disease doesn't pose increased risk. I think that's very important and that's Adrian's work. And uh, we showed that in addition to that, um, if you are on a a type two targeting treatment, uh, then you may be actually further more protected of uh, COVID. So I think these are overall good news Mm -hmm. for uh, our community. And please uh, go ahead and uh, vaccinate your children or you need to get vaccinated as an adult. But keep in mind that you need to have your baseline disease treated well so that you don't have some exacerbation that may be possible uh, when you have the vaccination. Terrific. Dr. Unger or Dr. Martineau? For me, I think Emma summarized it perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I obviously agree with all of that. I I think that when it comes specifically to atopic dermatitis, rather than having additional concern for getting treated with dupilumab, which affects the immune system. And so because of that may sound concerning, if anything, parents should be quicker to get their children on the treatment because not only will it treat the eczema very well, most likely as it does for many people, but it may actually also be protective for you know COVID and potentially some other things. So. Thank you, everybody, for joining our show today. I think that concludes, and it's been a great discussion. Appreciate your time, and thank you also to parents who joined and posed questions. And we'll see you uh, next time on our next show. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research, or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. And if you enjoy our podcast, consider supporting it with a tax-deductible donation through our website. We depend on listeners like you to keep producing high-quality, science-based episodes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.